Welcome to the SAPTA podcast. On January 27th, we recorded a video dialogue on the topic of recruiting and hiring PTs educated outside of the U.S. The guests included Ben Aguila, Narisa Barimo, Emmanuel John, Lindy Leisha, and Shruti Joshi. Here's that discussion. Welcome to all our viewers to our APTA live event, Recruiting and Hiring PTs Educated Outside of the U.S. Guidelines on what employers and internationally educated PTs should know. This event is hosted by the APTA Staff Workgroup for Internationally Educated PTs, or IEPTs for short, a volunteer, uh, volunteer group of APTA members from the IEPT community that advocates for the unique concerns and needs of the IEPT while upholding the values and aspirational ideas of the APTA. Our goal with this event is to inform and give background on the intersections of global patient demands impacting professional and economic opportunities of the PT profession. This places unique challenges on the IEPTs not faced by U.S. educated PTs, particularly on the unfair, unethical, and illegal recruitment and employment practices surrounding IEPTs that can cause harm to the PT profession as a whole, and most importantly, the patients we serve. We will also discuss how the APTA House of Delegates, the policymaking body of APTA, passed guideline G06-203327 in the 2020 House, and how its elements put into practice can result in fair, ethical, legal, and equitable outcomes, and how employers, recruiters, and IEPT employee foreknowledge of the guideline could mitigate the risk of these difficult scenarios. We invite our audience to join in the conversation in the comments section. For any IEPTs to identify which part of the global PD community they were educated and currently practicing, and ask questions which we will address in the Q&A open forum segment. The information provided on this Facebook Live event does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available in this presentation are for general informational purposes. Opinions expressed in this discussion belong to the individual panelists. I am Ben Aguila, and I will be your moderator today. I will be joined by our resource panelists, our IEPT colleagues, Dr. Emmanuel John, Ms. Narissa Borromeo, Dr. Shruti Joshi, and Attorney Leandro Lindy B. Lachica. Now, for a brief introduction from all of our panelists, I will start off. I'm Ben Aguila, PTDPT, and after immigrating here after completing my bachelor's degree from FEU NRMF, I have lived in the U.S. for 21 years. In 2010, I completed my transitional DPT with then UMDNJ, now Rutgers North DPT program. I am the practice owner of Life in Motion PT in Jersey City, New Jersey. Also, the New Jersey delegate to the APTA House of Delegates, a member of the APTA Staff Work Group for IEPTs, a trustee of Future Foundation, a nonprofit for global PT advocacies, an adjunct instructor for Rutgers North DPT program, and creator and host of the Life in Motion podcast and Kilos PT social media series. Now, may I ask our panelists to introduce themselves. First up, Dr. Emmanuel John. Sorry, I'm muted. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. My name is Emmanuel John, um, PT, DPT, PhD, MPH, and MBA. I am originally from Nigeria. I went to uh, PT school in Nigeria. I graduated in 1994 with a bachelor's degree from the College of Medicine, University of Lagos. And I worked in Nigeria uh, between 1994 and 2002 as a physical therapist and also as an adjunct uh, professor at one of the physical therapy schools in Nigeria. I migrated to the United States in 2002 for my PhD in rehabilitation science at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And um, that was from 2002 to 2006. And immediately after my 
uh, PhD program. I joined my first faculty position at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And after that, I was at um, Radford University, um, where we started a PT program, then from there to Toro University, Nevada. And currently, I'm the chair and program director of the first and oldest physical therapy program in the United States here at Chapman University. Um, after my PhD, I also picked up some additional degrees. I had uh, my DPT from Alabama State University and an MBA from Louisiana State University and an MPH recently from Liberty University in Virginia. So, um, thank you. Thank you, Manuel. Uh, up next, Ms. Nerissa Borromeo. Hi, everyone. My name is Nerissa Borromeo, a physical therapist. I finished my bachelor's degree um, in the Philippines at Far Eastern University, NRMF, and currently living here in the States for the past three years. I am currently taking my transitional degree in physical therapy at Arcadia University in Pennsylvania, and I'm hoping to graduate this year. I am currently a home health physical therapist here in Northern Maine, working for Northern Light Home Care and Hospice under Eastern Maine Healthcare System. Thank you. Thank you. Then we have Dr. Shruti Joshi. Good evening, everyone. I'm really excited to be here tonight for this important discussion. Um, I graduated with my entry-level bachelor's uh, degree in physical therapy from uh, Manipal University in India in 2004. And um, after that, I moved to the United States and I got a master's degree in physical therapy from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And since 2007, I have been working in the United States as a physicist. Um, my background uh, is mostly in the specialty of pediatrics. I am also a board certified uh, specialist in pediatrics, and I'm also uh, an APTA credential clinical instructor. Uh, my current role involves uh, delivering services to infants, children, and adolescents. Uh, adolescents in an outpatient clinic at the University of Illinois Hospital in Chicago. Um, and I have lived and worked in the state of Illinois since 2007. Um, I got my transitional DPT degree from Governor State University in 2016. Um, currently, I teach students both in the clinic as well as in the classroom at the Applied Health Sciences College uh, in uh, the University of Illinois at Chicago. Um, I am involved in, I've been involved in the APTA uh, in many different um, capacities since 2010. Currently, I am a member of the uh, Academy of Pediatric Therapies Practice Development Committee and also their COVID-19 work group. And uh, recently, I became involved with this uh, internationally educated physical therapist staff work group. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, Attorney Lindy B. Lachica. Hi, I'm Leandro B. Lachica. Uh, they call me Lindy. I graduated from the University of the Philippines and I took up my master's in business administration in Nanyang in Singapore. After graduation, I went to private practice in the Philippines and then I joined the Philippine Department of Foreign Affairs uh, where I, ser I serve um, at the home office and then I got posted at our embassy in Australia. And, uh, and all, then afterwards, I was transferred to New York at the Philippine Consulate in New York. I'm licensed as a lawyer in Australia, in the Philippines, and in New York. And um, I used to work assisting our uh, you know, nationals in distress, particularly focusing on our migrant workers when I was in Australia, as well as in New York. And um, afterwards, after the end of my tour of duty in New York, I went to private practice uh, here uh, in the States, in New York. Uh, we're focusing on immigration as well as employment cases and continuously helping uh, foreign educated uh, foreign workers uh, in terms of their challenges in the United States. Thank you to all our panelists. Now that you've met all our panelists, now we will have a short presentation for background and context on how the 2020 guidelines for recruitment and employment of IEPTs from the APTA House of Delegates came to be. We reiterate that the information provided on this Facebook Live event does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, 
All information, content, and materials available in this presentation are for general informational purposes. Opinions expressed in this discussion belong to the individual panelists. Who are IPTs? IEPTs are PTs whose education occurred outside of the U.S. In a 2014 survey reported that 12% of the U.S. PT workforce were IEPTs. A 2016 article reported that almost half of the IEPTs in the U.S. came from the Philippines, 31% from India, 6% from Europe, and the remaining 13.1% from the rest of the globe. According to a 2020 report from the World Health Organization, the global need for rehab, among which PTs included, was estimated by the World Health Organization to be a benefit for every one in three people. Why the need for IEPTs in America? It is because of the shortage of PTs in the U.S. to serve the healthcare needs of the public. Even as far back as 2010, shortages of PTs were already being forecasted in all 50 states, particularly in states with greater rural areas and generally the further away a community is from major metropolitan areas. An APTA workforce data projection published from 2016 reported that by 2025, there will be a shortage of 9,592 PTs if we assume a 2.5% attrition rate. Estimating attrition rates at 3.5% is even worse, with shortages of about 13,000 PTs. At 1.5% attrition, projected surplus is only about 1,500 PTs. Please note that the 2016 article stated that as per the FSBPT, 535 IEPTs could have joined the 2010 PT workforce after passing the NPTE. With 6,458 U.S. educated PTs graduating in 2010 per the CAPI annual report, IEPTs made up only 8.3% of the potential new PTs entering the profession. Last 2020, the APTA House of Delegates, the policy-making body of the APTA, confirmed the importance of in-depth workforce planning that will include ongoing assessments of supply and demand, as well as needs assessments that would help better define and predict the employment landscape. Their upcoming report will be of great interest to various stakeholders. What we currently do know is that according to the Occupational Outlook Handbook of the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics, 2019 to 2029 projects that the 18% PT job growth projection is much faster compared to the 4% all occupations average job growth. With the healthcare needs of the U.S. being so great, this is why IEPTs are another source of staffing input for the current U.S. PT shortage. As can be imagined, where there is need, there is economic opportunity as well, and recruiters and employers have partaken of this at possibly significant financial gains. Though there are no currently any IEPT health economic studies, a reasonable comparison would be foreign educated nurses that can net recruiters and or employers between fifty to 55000 profit of U.S. dollars per foreign educated healthcare worker according to the literature. Ideally, all recruiters and employers would be fair and ethical, but the reality is there are also bad faith actors. Next slide. It would be nice to say that this employer charged by the U.S. Department of Labor for $3 million in back wages affecting 156 workers was a one-time hiccup in 2008, but this 2019 sentencing of a PT and an acupuncturist who had leverage over these IEPTs because they were dependent on him for continued employment and legal status in the U.S. shows that this is an ongoing challenge unique to the IEPT community. I would like to share with our U.S. educated PT colleagues the idea that if you found yourself in an unethical, unfair, or illegal job situation, Unlike IEPTs, you could leave your job, even report the employer at no risk to your ability to stay in the U.S. And with the current job market, 
conceivably be gainfully employed relatively quickly. On the other hand, IEPTs, though, could have ruinous professional and economic prospects leveraged against them by bad faith actors, usually after already having spent sizable personal financial resources for one shot for many of us at the American dream. This places IEPTs in a uniquely terrible predicament. It turns out that even back in 1994, the APTA House of Delegates had already passed guidelines for recruiting and hiring IEPTs. However, 25 years later, the 2019 Special Committee to Review House Documents recommended the guidelines be rescinded or deleted as a position statement as the guideline was found to be a rarely referenced position statement. Fortunately, because of my personal exposure to mentorship from leaders of the APTA in Rutgers GPT, I had become an APTA member by then and had sought out to learn how I can contribute by seeking to be an alternate delegate for the New Jersey delegation of the HOD. With the support of the Chief Delegate, Dr. Shannon Lenahan, and the rest of the New Jersey delegation, we raised in APTA Hub Community Discussion Forum the importance of this position statement for IEPTs like myself. We were able to gather sufficient support from other states or components during the 2019 House to be able to retain these guidelines. I also hope this demonstrates to any IEPT viewers the value and urgency of being an APTA member, as I personally think the reason why the guideline was rarely referenced was in the past, there was not enough IEPT members engaged with the APTA, unaware that we could have shared this valuable document. The guideline could mitigate the risk of unfair, unethical, and illegal predicaments for IEPTs. As recommended by the Special Committee, an updated amendment to the guideline was put forth in the 2020 House by the New Jersey delegation. During the first ever 2020 virtual House, 94% of the delegates in attendance approved the guideline. I again asked the IEPTs to consider that con contrary to the feeling of otherness that is sometimes felt by those that have lived the immigrant experience, do consider that a vast majority of the APTA House of Delegates, who in turn represent their own constituent APTA component members, publicly demonstrated their receptiveness and inclusion for the concerns of IEPTs who joined them at the advocacy table. The APTA House did hear out and acted upon professional issues brought forward, even from the smaller segments of APTA membership such as IEPTs. That is the end of my presentation about the APTA House of Delegates position statement, Guidelines for Recruiting and Hiring Internationally Educated PTs. You can scan the QR code to be linked to the guideline, and we ask our viewers to share this resource, which is accessible to all, even non-APTA members. At this point, we're going to ask our panelists to share their personal stories on how its elements put into practice can result in fair, ethical, legal, and equitable outcomes, and how employers, recruiters, and IEPT employees having foreknowledge of the guideline could have mitigated the risk of difficult scenarios. Shruti, can you share with us your experience with your employer that you feel demonstrated behaviors in alignment with the guidelines? Definitely. Thank you. Um, so those of us that have chosen to live, work, or study in the United States as physical therapists know how complex the systems of higher education, licensing, and credentialing, and immigration could be. Um, I started my journey as a student on a student visa uh, doing my master's degree. And towards the end of that program, I was on optional practical training, or also called OPT, which is a status that many international students use to gain work experience in the United States. And fortunately, I found an employer who wanted to hire me as a physical therapist based on my qualifications and experience. Um, and uh, at that time, to be able to work in the United States, I needed to uh, transition from OPT to a work visa. 
In my case, um, the employer actually agreed to file a petition on my behalf to the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services for an H-1B visa. And they also recruited a reputed law firm with very experienced immigration lawyers to prepare and submit the petition on my behalf. Um, I think that the first part of my positive experience um, in encountering an employer and immigration lawyers that were very ethical in how they conducted themselves throughout the process was that the immigration lawyers that were involved in my case explained many of the regulations and processes pertaining to the non-immigrant visa process to me beforehand, even before the application was made. The first thing that they made clear to me was that they were representing both me as well as my employer. Um, and that's a special feature of the H-1B visa category that the lawyer represents uh, both sides. They gave me a run through of what the steps were in filing an I-129, uh, the expected paperwork, the turnaround times, that, uh, how long I could be on that visa, when the renewals would come through. But some of the most important things they talked about with me were regarding pay scale. And they uh, told me that my employer would have to pay me at minimum at least the salary that was specified by the United States Department of Labor guidelines for physical therapists with my background and level of experience. But they also advised me that I should be receiving compensation that is comparable to any other employee in that institution that has the same job description and background and experience that I did. This was really critical information for me at the time. In addition, they also advised me on how taxation would change for me when I moved from OPT to a non-immigrant work visa, when those changes would happen. And they also worked with my employer's HR department to make sure that they knew uh, what paperwork needed to be done and at what and at what times. Um, other things that I learned from these immigration lawyers were rules pertaining to international travel, what I needed to do, what formalities I would need to complete before re-entering the United States if I left for a trip abroad. Um, one incident that comes to my mind, which really sticks out, is um, I was visiting my family in India, my home country, and I was actually stuck there for, um, you know, what seemed like an indefinite amount of time at that point because of delays in visa processing at the American consulate. And it was about a three or four week delay. And throughout that time, my employer, as well as the immigration lawyer, stayed in touch with me through phone calls and emails and did whatever they could to support me and help me figure out how to get back into the United States as soon as possible to resume my work and my job. Um, I think the other, I think where I felt like this employer really did what, um, what was in my best interest was that they provided all the documents that were I requested in a timely manner. I never had to chase them for anything. They turned around forms. They followed the immigration and, uh, lawyer's advice to the T. And the most important point being they bore the entire cost of filing the petition as well as the attorney's uh, time. And I think this tends to be an area of debate, and it is something that you should always talk to an immigration lawyer about, is when you are applying for a non-immigrant visa or when you are seeking a job in the United States, who bears the cost of sponsoring the visa? And I know we have a lawyer on the panel, and um, if questions come up about this, make sure that you seek advice around this. In my case, the employer bore the entire cost. Um, so basically, what I thought I got, uh, learned from this experience, which was very positive, was that my employer made it very clear through their actions that they were committed to doing the right thing by the law and by me, and that I was highly valued as an employee. And they had, at every point in the process, whatever they committed to, they gave it to me in writing, and they actually followed through on it. And I think this was a huge factor in my decision to continue living and working in the United States. And I think uh, I was really able to practice physical therapy which are, with a much higher sense of commitment and engagement, both towards my profession as well as towards my job at the time. So that's really one positive experience that I can speak of. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. As you heard, her employer complying with the spirit of item one of the guidelines shown here, ensured fair, ethical, and legal practices during the course of her employment. Thank you, Shruti. Now, 
you would like to uh, call in Nerissa. Nerissa, what were the preparations made by your recruiter or agency that helped you successfully transition as an IEPT who just migrated to the United States? So, hi, Sir Ben. I am one of those who had good and fair experience when it comes to transitioning here in the States. I came here through a working visa in 2018 under an agency. So my experience is while I was still back in the Philippines, my agency already gave me different modules to study online, which includes communication skills, therapy skills, basic driving rules and regulations here in the States. And I even got a module regarding winter clothing, which is very appropriate to where I am right now. They urge and advise us to take driving lessons while we're still in the Philippines for ease in transition. So when we flew here in the States, we stayed in Florida for a month at our agency's rented apartments and main office. The first two weeks is mostly about our cultural competency program, where we were taught and we learned about America's customs, America's financial system, and how the credit score works, the importance of getting and having an insurance, such as medical, car, and renters. During that span in time as well, we were starting to look for an apartment to the state that we will live in. So we will write down different choices. We give it to our transition specialist who will give us pros and cons through their data and research. This helped us um, narrow down our choices on the safest and most appropriate place to live in. They also helped me get and start my new bank account get a credit card, and get a loan for my own vehicle. During that two-week time as well, we were starting to get driving lessons in Florida. Driving in the streets and roads here in the U.S. is quite different than back home. So it helped us really get our driver's license smoother and easier. The last two weeks of that one-month stay is mostly about our clinical skills. So we reviewed um, different transfer techniques, how to use a Hoyer lift, um, different functional outcomes that we could use for initial assessments, and also a glimpse of Oasis. There was also one day in Florida that we get to shadow a licensed physical therapist. Although it's an outpatient clinic, different from where I'm working right now, I got to see how PTs and PTAs interact with one another, and I got to see how they treat patients. As a home health physical therapist myself, I got a chance to have that day to practice calling make-believe patients. So I get to experience easy acceptance of visits. I got rejected of the visit. And then that call also had a sudden change in language as a barrier. It was very helpful for me. But my agency support didn't end there. Um, when I flew here in Maine, I met with another transition specialist who drove me to the dealership store to get my car who drove me to the groceries and get furniture for my apartment and also drove me around town showing me where the town hall is, police department, fire department. So in case something happens to me, I know where to go. She didn't leave me here without knowing I'm all set and I'm settled in. But my transition process is not perfect, but I felt like um, they gave me enough bullets before I went out in the battlefield. That I felt really supported through their cultural competency program that lessened my fear in living at a state I know nothing about. So I feel like my experience is very positive, Sir Ben. Thank you, Ms. Bartomeu. The recruiter and agency preparing her for transition, not just for clinical practice in the U.S., but also the practical tips, everyday concerns, and questions that would be experienced by any person who moves from one part of the world to another, sets her up to succeed and to be a valued and productive member of the community she will serve and live in. Thank you for sharing, Neri. Now, I would like to focus on Mr. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, can you share experiences of IEPTs who follow academic or higher education routes via student visas? And also, U.S. citizens and permanent residents who are IEPTs, hence do not need H-1B visas. How do these different groups, how do these two different groups encounter similar yet different challenges 
to be integrated into the U.S. clinical PT practice and licensure? Um, yeah, it is interesting to note that um, internationally educated physiotherapists who uh, come into this country, one either following an academic or higher education route, um, they have a little bit different uh, experience than those who come to the United States to work directly, uh, immediately as physiotherapists. Um, those who are coming, um, like Shruti uh, mentioned, she came to the United States on student visa, and she was in a master's program. Uh, but after her master's program, she decided to go into the clinics to work as a clinician. But we have a few of our colleagues who come into the country, and after their academic studies, they go into academia, like myself. Um, usually, they come on student visa, and then um, if they pick up a faculty appointment, um, that will mean that they will be sponsored for an H-1B visa in the academic uh, line, but not in the clinical line. Um, now, the difference in this is that um, they may or may not require a physical therapy license um, in the academic realm. Usually, uh, academic programs want you to be licensed in the U.S., uh, but the challenge that um, those in academia have is that various states have different um, uh, standards uh, for licensing. Take, for instance, there are some states in the United States that will not allow you to teach or to practice unless you are licensed. Many other states will allow you to teach in an academic institution, but you cannot practice without a license. Uh, it becomes a problem also in some other states will require you to have, um, take for instance, when I was teaching in the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, I was required as an internationally educated physical therapist to have a thousand hours, 1,000 hours of supervised clinical practice uh, before I could be licensed in the state of Virginia. Now, a thousand hours of supervised medical practice will mean that I will need to leave my faculty job and become a clinician for one year. And because of that uh, barrier, I had to leave the state of Virginia to seek employment in another state. So you have all these other challenges that those who are in the academic realm, um, academic path, they have. We also have another cadre of internationally educated physical therapists who do not need visas to come into the United States. Maybe they were married to an American citizen or they are sponsored for permanent residence and they just came in. And now they have to start the process of getting licensed in the United States. So they will not need to deal with immigration petitions. All they need to do is to look at, um, to deal with um, the licensure procedure. And that takes me to talking about briefly about um, the processes. If you can show the slide that shows us the CWT tools, uh, that would be helpful. Whether you are coming as a clinician or you are an academic path, before you can be licensed in any state in the United States, you have to go through two processes. Step one is immigration processes, which uh, my other colleagues had, 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 had mentioned. The second process is the process of checking whether your international physical therapy entry level education is equivalent to that of the United States. This is very important information uh, for everybody to know. We have what is known as a coursework evaluation tool. Uh, that was put together through the FSBPT, which is the Federate, uh, Federation of States Board of Physical Therapy. Um, they started the first version of ECW. You can still put it up there, please. They started the first version in uh, CWT1. This is used for those who graduated before 1978. That means if you're entry level from your country of origin, uh, if you graduated in 1978, they will use that tool to evaluate your uh, your coursework. Uh, CW, uh, the second version, if you are if you graduated between 1978 and 1971, and that goes on up to the current version in uh, the sixth version. That means if you graduated um, after. January 1, 2017. The challenge that internationally educated PTs have is this. 
different states allow different CWT. Take, for instance, I graduated in 1994 back in my country. That means that for my uh, coursework to be evaluated against U.S. equivalency, what they will do is that they will use CWT3, which falls within the year of my graduation. And as at that time, um, the minimum entry level to PT practice here in the United States is master's MPT. However, my coursework will still be equivalent because it is very similar. But there are some states that will not allow, if I am applying for a license now, they will not allow CWT3. They will probably say that my coursework should be evaluated against CWT5. If they evaluated my transcript, my bachelor's degree from 1994 with a coursework of CWT5, they are likely going to find that my uh, education is not equivalent to the minimum needed in the United States. So that would mean for me to go ahead and be licensed in that state. I would need to take some extra coursework. And this is one of the reasons why that drove me back, even after my PhD, to go back and have a transitional DPT. Because some of those coursework, I just thought, why, why not just have a TDPT and just cover up all those courseworks? So when you are trying to get licensed in any state, you need to find out which state is allowing which WCT and which version are they allowing. There are some states that they will only allow the current version regardless of the year you graduated. And there are some other states that will allow what we call retro. That means even though they recommend seat WT6, however, if you graduated in 1998, for instance, they will still allow your minimum, uh, your uh, entry-level qualification to be uh, evaluated uh, using the CWT4 version. So this gives us um, an idea of the challenges that uh, internationally educated physical therapists face when they are trying to get licensed in the United States. Now this process, the phase one, which includes immigration, and phase two, which includes um, the evaluation of your uh, entry-level education, it may take anywhere between 6 to 36 months, depending on where you are coming from, where you are, and how many coursework uh, you need to cover up to make sure that you're equivalent to the minimum that is accepted uh, in the United States. So those are the challenges that uh, international educated physical therapists are facing, and um, that is why some might take up to three years for them to complete this process to be licensed to emigrate to the United States. So um, let me just stop here just to let us know that this is uh, a very arduous process that internationally educated PTs go through. There are some states in the Federation in the United States that um, uh, set up significant barriers to internationally educated physical therapists, and there are some other states uh, that allow us to um, relatively easier barrier. But regardless, we still have to go through the same thing. So over back to you, Ben. Thank you. So um, as you overheard from Dr. Emmanuel John, he really went into detail about what we are asked of as physical therapists. You know, the social contract that the USPT profession has made with American society at large obligates us to ensure that all PTs, whether IEPT or US educated, be sufficiently knowledgeable and trained for the safety of the public and to ensure PT patients receive the standard of care they deserve. The guidelines facilitate this by asking of recruiters and employers that any required coursework is from a regionally accredited institution. The challenges of licensure by, endorser is, uh, by endorsement is another platform which IEPTs are tackling. If you go to our previous um, live event, and we hope to hear uh, and to get help from all our IEPTs to be engaged in that topic soon. Thank you, Dr. John. If I may, I would like to share my experience. My parents were blue-collar entrepreneurs who, by the dint of hard work, provided an education for me to complete, uh, to graduate with a bachelor degree in physical therapy in the Philippines. The opportunity to immigrate was given by a close family friend, a Philippine-American healthcare business owner who offered immigration sponsorship and employment for me to be a PT in America. 
Coming from a relationship-based culture such as the Philippines, the word and promise of our family friend was their bond. And so we agreed. I moved to California by myself and began employment in the facility without a written contract. Mistakenly thinking that it was a part of paying my dues, I initially did non-PT-related work, such as being a nursing aide, filing papers, kitchen duties, janitorial services, and was paid at near minimum wage. Even after passing the MPT, obtaining my PT license, and independently providing PT services to patients, my employer still did not give the proper PT wages and compensation as required by then INS, now USEIS, as set by the U.S. Department of Labor. It was at that point that I realized that the business owner did not intend to either employ or pay me at the prevailing market wages of a PT required by labor laws. When I voiced my complaint, the business owner laid me off, citing downsizing and effectively terminated my position. I was also led to believe, to think that my immigration pathway was terminated along with it and I had no recourse for possible employment by other employers. I had been paying out of my small income for an immigration lawyer, recommended by my original employer sponsor, and I naturally went to their office for assistance. That law firm informed me that they could do nothing for me. And you can imagine, this was such a horrifying thing to be told. Nearly bankrupt and one month of rent away from homelessness, I was blessed to have relatives in New York who gave me room and board until I can get my feet underneath me again. After consulting with another immigration lawyer, I was then informed that I could have already been filed for immigration status change that would have allowed me to no longer be under the control of my original sponsor. My new legal advocate helped me belatedly realize I may have been purposefully kept ignorant and unaware of the legal recourse available to me, despite having an attorney-client relationship privilege with the lawyer who I was paying for and retained for my immigration-related purposes. It is not hard to imagine that the law firm had likely been instructed or chose not to give me legal counsel advocating for my best interest, as my original employment sponsor is a source of regular new clientele for them having brought in and will bring in more immigrant clients. A harrowing immigrant worker journey of five years for me would have been avoided if I only had sound legal advice from a lawyer who was truly working for my best interests. This is my personal reason as to why I advocate so much for the IEPTs and this guideline. Because in item eight, it's stated, the employer advises the physical therapist that their interest is best served by obtaining appropriate counsel prior to signing the contract. Next slide. This could have helped me recognize the danger of not having my own lawyer, rightfully protecting my interests, and been better able to recognize and avoid unjust professional and labor work conditions by my original sponsor. Information asymmetry is part and parcel of the IEPT experience, and careful reading of contractual terms, being aware of immigration, professional, and legal regulations, and having truly advocating counsel or legal representation are very important so that your rights and obligations are very clear and understood before signing contracts and to ensure adherence to contractual terms by both parties. Thank you for listening to my story. Now, we will call on Sir Lindy. Sir Lindy, how could these guidelines help mitigate potentially unfair, unethical, and illegal bad faith actors from the recruiter and employer sectors, clarify IEPTs of their own contractual obligations, and help protect the PT profession, IEPTs, and most importantly, the patients they serve? Thank you, Dr. Ben. Uh, well, actually, I want to commend the efforts of uh, APTA in coming up with this initiative uh, because the bottom line is um, before when IEPTs have problems, uh, their support group is their community. But I commend APTA because it's a, 
practice industry-specific support that you provide to your fellow PTs who are graduates of, uh, who are foreign educated. Definitely it helps a lot. Um, we must remember the primary consideration here is the promotion of the quality of care for your patients um, and their safety through proper training, hiring, uh, and recruitment and employment practices. So it's mainly the protection of the industry through uh, prevention and prosecution of exploitative practices against PTs, which eventually actually complements um, the employers of the PTs or the practice owners. It's not a zero-sum game, actually. It's, it complements. Uh, the more you enhance um, the quality of the PTs who come here and also to ensure their working conditions, the better it is also for the for the employers. So the guidelines provides best practices and transparency. As I was saying before, it provides an, like an antiseptic. Uh, it enables you to bring out um, those practices that, you know, I'm happy to hear about the good stories of um, Dr. Shrutin and Dr. Narisa. Uh, that's the ideal, uh, but it's also not uncommon based on the experience I've had uh, helping out our um, migrant workers. Uh, and it's interesting to note that it's not, it's in the first world country that uh, these malpractices are happening. Um, in particular, for example, uh, trafficking issues are not uncommon, uh, even in the first world countries such as Australia or even here in the United States. Um, but the key there is uh, working with um, what you're doing right now uh, with um, the organization of physical therapists and also um, trying to educate them and giving them complementing support, not only in terms of professional, but also legal. And I understand you also give them um, um, social support. So um, being cognizant of both the needs of the PTs and the employers are key here. Um, the way that um, there may be some abuses um, that happen on the part of the employers. We're also cognizant, I also encountered wherein there may be also some concerns on the part of some PTs who may take advantage also of, of the employers. But the difference there is the more vulnerable between the two actually are the IEPTs, considering their lack of resources and they are being um, foreigners or strangers in a foreign country starting something new. So what you're doing is very, very helpful, and I commend you for that. And maybe just to share you what um, I used to encounter, I agree with what you have mentioned in terms of clarifying. First and foremost, it's about your contract with them. Um, normally, um, it's human nature, I guess, that you're excited to go uh, go to a new venture that you, know, you think the contract is just a template, each contract is different. So that's the key there. And that, that's where you can really help help them out in terms of understanding, reviewing their contracts, make sure they understand the full terms. And maybe I just want to zoom in on a couple of what you may have to look out for and the cases that we've handled recently involving contracts of foreign workers, which is sometimes they, there's a tendency to abuse the legal process, um, speaking particularly with provisions on uh, buyout, the liquidated damages, which are not per se maybe illegal, but if it turns out to be like a penalty to force the foreign workers to continue working, then it may not be lawful. Likewise, um, the terms and conditions of your work, when you have to start working, what are the prevailing wages, and the key there, as you mentioned, is the LCA, that they fully understand it and that they, um, they're they aware, you made them aware. So this is very helpful, your, your guidelines. And, um, um, and, and it's a very, very good start. And, and um, this will help them as part of the best practices for, for, your pra for, for the PTs. Thank you, Attorney Lachica. 
raising awareness among the IEPD community of the guidelines, doing due diligence, becoming a member or international partner of APTA, and participating in the APTA IEPT hub community fosters best practices of ethical recruitment and employment and, and employment and deters the ability of bad faith actors, either recruiters, employers, and even employees to create potentially unfair, unethical, illegal, and unjust employment professional situations. We hope that our audience learn from the shared experiences by our panelists. Before we open the forum for questions, I would like to ask each of our panelists for any final thoughts or wisdom to share with the IEPTs and or U.S. educated PT colleagues. Dr. Shruti Joshi. Thank you, Ben. Um, I think in closing, what I would like to tell um, internationally educated PTs that are wanting to work in the United States is that um, we have to realize that our skills, our experience, and our background, our credentials are valuable. And we are valuable as human beings and as people. And I, um, we have to hold ourselves in high regard. Um, and part of knowing how to go about this process of uh, negotiating, talking to an employer, is getting that immigration counsel, the high quality immigration advice that comes from immigration counsel. Keep in mind that's not a luxury, it's an absolute necessity. It, it keeps you safe, it keeps you in the ethical zone, and it keeps your employer uh, also aware and vigilant about what they need to do. So, uh, and if an employer does uh, decide that they want to hire you and uh, they want you to work for them, it is because they need you and value you. And I think that's what we all should uh, keep in mind when we are seeking employment and work in the United States. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Uh, Nerissa, would you like to share? Uh, first of all, I thank APTA and IPTA staff work group for giving me this opportunity to share my experience to our foreign educated PTs. Having an agency that did all of those things to me made my transition process hassle-free and the support they gave me gave me confidence that I can make it here in the States. My advice to each and every one of you is when you're talking and looking for an agency is ask a lot of questions, but most importantly, ask the right questions. Read the terms of your contract, not once, not twice, but as many as you can. And please advocate for yourself when you're talking and looking for an agency that will help you transition here in the States. Thank you, Neri. Uh, Dr. Emmanuel John? Yeah, thank you, Ben. Um, I would like to suggest to our colleagues who are U.S. Um, educated physical therapists to let them know based on what I shared about the processes that we go through to be vetted that um, uh, many of the high EPs that come to this country, uh, many of them are well educated where they are coming from. And the system is in place by each state board to ensure that anybody licensed to practice within their jurisdiction are well vetted in addition to the fact that everybody has to pass the NPT. Um, so we have all those coursework tools that make sure that just like um, all accredited DPT, uh, PT programs in the United States, they go through a rigorous procedure. Each um, IEPTs um, are also well vetted before they are released into the public service. And um, we, we also want um, our colleagues here in the U.S. to understand that we have a lot of challenge. One, um, coming to a foreign country uh, as older, as adults, and also trying to um, be assimilated into the community. It will help us a lot if um, our colleagues, um, they have a more open mind. Um, and also, maybe we should stop referring to us as foreign trained. That terminology sometimes feels as if we are like a virus um, that is attacking the system. Um, internationally educated PTs is a better terminology to use. Um, so, and also lastly, to those who are aspiring uh, high PTs, uh, information is very powerful. Make sure you get the best information and the best advices that are possible so that you can have the best experience. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. John. And Attorney Lindy Lachica. Yes. Um, don't feel helpless for the IEPTs. There are reliefs, there are remedies. And, and, and that's why um, 
working with your colleagues, with your organizations will help a lot. And as we say, you know, when you advocate for yourself, the spin cannot rise higher than its source, meaning even if you have the best lawyers in the world, but it's with you, if you have the desire, you're vigilant of your wants rights, uh, not only for yourself, but think of it for the greater good of the practice, of the entire practice, of the entire industry, and also to maintain um, constant productive dialogue um, between yourself as well as with your employer, keep an open line, and um, it's more productive probably if you, at the beginning, you make things clear rather than uh, get a dispute at the end. So um, be vigilant, but at the same time, um, keep an open, open line. Thank you to everyone, to all our research panelists. Our hope is that viewers are now better informed about what, who, and why IEPTs are part of the USPT workforce and also have learned about the APT House guidelines. Having this APTA position statement as a common touch point among IEPT candidates, employees, recruiters, and employers can help encourage fair, ethical, legal, and equitable labor conditions. On behalf of the IEPT workgroup, our final appeal is to encourage all our viewers to disseminate widely the guideline, as doing so can both provide optimal PT staffing solutions and deter potential bad faith behaviors from both source and destination countries and parties. Ideally, there should be no need for these guidelines in the first place if all the physical therapy needs of each country can be met by their own locally educated healthcare workers. But such is not the case. Until then, the guideline can act as an upstream safety guardrail that shines a light on the intersectionality of professional, economic, and immigrant labor market forces so we can contribute to a fair and just global health system. Please feel free to reach out to our APTA IEPT staff work group members. Their contact information will be shown in the following slides. And again, we invite you to join us in the APTA hub community for IEPTs. You will be also seeing in the slides our resource panelists. And as you heard earlier, the process of bringing this important guidance for IEPT started when an IEPT became a member and had active engagement. We encourage our U.S.-based IEPTs to join the APTA. And our non-U.S.-based IEPT colleagues can join the APTA as an international partner. There are so many benefits to becoming a member or international partner. For example, APTA members and international partners can avail of special pricing for the 2021 APTA CSM conference done virtually this year. At APTA CSM, not only can you learn from and begin developing professional networks with the thought leaders of the APTA and U.S. profession, you will also gain month-long content and a rich catalog of speakers, lectures, and events that help advance the PT profession and body of knowledge forward. You can scan this QR code link to know more. Um, our chat moderators have brought a few questions for us. Um, before I forget, just in case we don't get to all the questions, you can refer them to practice at apta.org, and we can direct their question to the correct panelists if you don't catch the panelist's email. So the question I had was from, um, the question is for Sir Lindy. Can our employer should be the one paying for H1B? Is the only fee a client can pay for is for premium processing? Yes, as regards to H-1B, uh, general rule, uh, the employer should pay for all uh, the costs uh, insofar as the uh, immigration costs are concerned, filing fees, legal fees. Insofar as the premium processing, it depends. If it's purely for the benefit of the employee, uh, for the reason of filing the processing fee, it can be paid by the employee. Otherwise, it should also be paid by the employer. So that's the general rule for H-1B uh, filing fees or immigration expenses. Thank you, Sir Lindy. There was a question. Do, are you allowed to become an APTA member or international partner even for, even for having my license? Yes, the answer is an international partner. You don't need a license to become an APTA member. Uh, with that, um, I don't think we have a lot of time in left for our questions. Again, you can reach out to us in the email we said at the uh, 
information we sent. I would like just to go ahead and thank you all on behalf of the APTA IEPT staff work group. Thank you for giving us this platform to the APTA, all our resource panelists for their time and input, and our viewers today in attendance who participated in the comment section on this topic. We wish continued health, safety, and blessings to you all. Once more, thank you and goodbye. APTA podcasts like this one are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.